What's going on, people? Welcome to Pain Points. I'm your host, Jake Painting. As usual, the podcast is brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network, a part of the Canis Hoopers family. Today, I'm joined by Canis Hoopers Editor-in-Chief, Carl Tighe. What's going on, man? How's it going, dude? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Um, so, I've, it's been a little while since since I've uh, podcasted. I guess I've, I've been moving houses and stuff, so it's been a little bit busy over here, but, but we're finally back. Today we'll just do a little bit of a little bit of bubble notes. You know the Wolves bubbles started uh, kicking off this week, I think, or next week, and um, and then the, obviously the the Orlando bubble with the playoffs is is raging on and into the conference finals. So to start off with, um, I know you were, were on the the press call, Kyle, with, with uh, Jason Roses about the Wolves bubble and about the the intra squad kind of scrimmages that are going on. Um, what are your thoughts and, and, and what are some things, I guess, that, that stood out to you from that? Well, I think I think the first thing that stands out is that um, it was basically the first, you know, what is it? It was uh, September. It was last Wednesday. Uh, so it was the first real media availability that the team has had basically since they had media availability in May. That was like, hey, we're officially done. We're not invited right, to yeah. the bubble. Um so if you're a Wolves fan and you're, you know, hungry for anything newsworthy, um, it kind of feels like they're starting to pick up again. So last week, the way that their bubble breaks down is that um, they basically got as many of the guys in last week, kind of some just uh, one on essentially one on none uh, one, you know, playing against the coaches and stuff. So if a guy comes in, he has the court to himself type thing under these current protocols for COVID. But uh, but then starting Monday um september 21st that's when they're going to go into more of their bubble like situation so if you if you're familiar with downtown minneapolis they're you know the target center and their training facility are all in the same area and then there's also a a really nice hotel so i believe all the players and staff and coaches will kind of be sequestered into their own little mini minneapolis bubble um and then they're going to start being able to get into some five on five stuff um and kind of the biggest takeaways, you know, listening to, to Gerson and, and Ryan talk was that uh, they're not going to be able to, you know, not going to be able to do too much in a, in a two-week span. But just the ability to get those guys under the same roof is huge, especially when you think about how new this entire roster is. Uh, the trade deadline seems like it was 14 years ago, but it was just this past spring when they basically flipped over everyone but Josh and Carl. So just having those guys in, kind of getting them, you know, just... Learning where guys, you know, if you're a point guard, learning where guys like to uh, catch on on a certain pass or a post entry or just basic little things, they're not gonna um, they're not gonna have the chemistry of the Heat or the Nuggets uh, in two weeks. But I think it's just really big. Gersh and Ryan sounded so excited to have uh, the turnout that they've had. Um, I know you wanted to talk about that a little bit. So I think it's exciting times. We're still about two months out from the draft, but I think now you'll start to see more guys in for for practice. For, uh, for training sessions and we'll start to kind of uh, build some momentum here as we as we enter the draft and free agency and whenever the hell the season starts yeah exactly and and, and to your point which I think is a good one is, is even someone like you know D'Angelo, D'Angelo Russell who I guess we all assume just slots into this team and just kind of knows where guys want the ball already because he's showing that he can be a reliable facilitator in the past. It's definitely not the case. I think he he needs as much time as anyone to really uh, you know acclimate himself with this team and, and learn where guys like the ball, especially Carnegie Town, since obviously they only played one game together. But it, it's really good to know that that those two guys, Towns and Russell, are there 
uh, Malik Beasley, who, despite you know being a restricted free agent, is going to be there, which I think is pretty positive signs in terms of him returning in, in the free agency period. And I think that just um, yeah, getting everyone there and getting like a, a mini training camp kind of thing while we're still waiting to decide, I guess, when the season's going to resume next season or, you know, what, how long they're going to be off. Is it going to be a year? Is it going to be eight months? E- either way, they, they really need as much time as they can to gel, especially when you're second last in the, in the Western Conference. So I just think, I think we've spoke about this before, that there's really no negatives to, to the bubble as long as everyone's doing it safely and, and everyone uh, stays healthy, then, then I think there's really no negatives at all. Yeah, and, and when I was one of the talking points uh, from Gerson was just talking about Malik Beasley. You know, like obviously Towns and Russell are here um, kind of headlining the roster. But uh, for a guy like Malik Beasley who, you know, doesn't have to show up, he is a restricted free agent, um, but they, they just lauded his his work ethic. Um, it's kind of a kind of a running joke, but it's like a basically a battle between uh, Beasley, Towns, and Russell about who can get in earlier, so... Carl gets in at six and Russell got in at seven. And then the next day Beasley wanted to get in at five. So it's good to see that those guys want to work. I mean, I'm sure, you know, tech Carl's gone through a ton of stuff this off season with his, with his mom and with other things. But I just think it's cool to see those guys want to work. And like I said, again, they're not, they're not going to be able to build the chemistry or become a, a playoff contender in this two week bubble, but it's good to see what you got. Uh, they got to bring up some guys from Iowa too. Um, so they have a pretty, I think the roster that they have at the bubble is about 20 people. So you get to see some guys. And um, when you have a front office like the Wolves do, uh, and they got, you know, another thing that we might talk about, but, you know, that they got to keep Sasha and Gupta around. Um, when you have smart guys like that, those guys need data. They need information. They need, you know, just more and more samples of things to make decisions. Um, so getting guys in for two weeks of just shooting in, at Mayo Square and, and working out is big for them. So it'll be good to see what they got. It'll be good to see what they what they don't have, which is still a ton of holes. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it, it can only help. Like you said, it can only help. There's really no – I doubt they're going to be going super hard, so I don't think there's an injury risk. But uh, but you got you got to play basketball. Uh, they haven't played since March, so it could be until March 2021 that we tip off. Um, and these guys just got to get get their competitive juices flowing again. So so good, good news all around. Um, and they had a good showing, so I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess looking at things that, that I'm excited for in the bubble, I think, well, I guess first before that, there's probably two more notable things that, that come out of that, the roster and, you know, the, the mix-up of, of the team that's going to be there. One, I think, is uh, movie star Juan Chohan and Gomez. Uh, it obviously came out that he's not with the team because he's shooting a movie with Adam Sandler, I believe. So, strange news, kind of funny, but um, I guess, yeah, like it, uh, it's a weird yeah. one because, as well because he's a free agent. I guess it, it kind of makes for, for headlines that maybe he won't be coming back, but yeah, they, they've officially stated that he's out of the country filming a movie. So, and, so and, congratulations. And, to yeah, and, 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 and listen to Ryan and, and uh, Rosas talk. I mean, they, they both sounded like they kind of said it with, with some humor. That like you know, it wasn't a huge deal that Wancho had a prior commitment that he really wanted to be there. Um, but it's also just like the most twenty twenty thing ever that <laughs> this free agent is just filming a movie with Adam Sandler and he can show up to a bubble like that. Just is a Mad Lib in itself. So it's a bummer though because for a guy like him, um, I don't, 
you're much better at this than I am, but like I don't really know what the market will be like for him this off season. Um, yeah. Just based on you know salary cap and and who has money and who doesn't. Um, I think they want to keep him. Um, at the right price, obviously, but um, again, I I don't think it's a big deal that he's not in Minneapolis. But I also think for him, it does kind of suck because there's going to be guys like Jared Vanderbilt or other guys that are going to get a little more run. Um, that you know could kind of usurp him in in the rotation if if they look really good. So uh, it's a bummer, but like I said, he can maybe he can maybe make some money this year in free agency and win an Oscar. So good for him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think I'd turn down a chance to be in a movie. So yeah, like I said, good for him. But um, it it would be nice. I I guess he he could be there just because they really would want to see what. Obviously, they've seen fourteen games of him, but they want to see more from Wancho and really find out how he fits, especially next to town. So a bit of a bummer that I guess they won't see that, and they'll have to go into restricted free agency a little bit blind you know, in terms of playing with Towns and how he meshes with this roster completely. But, you know, good good for him. And, and, and uh, I was going to say, devil's advocate, it might it might be good. Like, maybe, maybe they just, there's even less tape of Juancho Hernan Gomez. Yeah. And people forget about him in a sense, and he gets a really, you know, the Wolves get him back for, I don't know, let's just say the Jake Lehman special or something, you know, like three years, 12 million or something. Um, But I, I again, like, I don't, when he wasn't on the list, everyone kind of was like, oh my God, where's Juancho Hernan Gomez? And, my thought was like good guy, good player, but like if we're worried about him, we suck anyway. So like I don't even know if that I don't even know how hyped they are to have him be the he's not the long term starting power forward, but even game one starting power forward. So yeah, I don't think I'd that, be surprised if I'd be yeah. surprised if he was the starting power forward next season, and probably a little bit disappointed. Yeah, I think they'll be aggressive this off season and try to figure out some some other person to put there. I'm guessing they would love his energy and his ability to shoot off the bench, but um. Yeah, like I said, film a movie, got it, makes sense. This whole situation, this whole year has been wild, so it's probably hard for him to get out. Um, but the Wolves will move on, and uh, they'll they'll get to work uh, in their own bubble. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the last yeah note that I had was Amari Spellman, not with the team. I know from from day dot, as soon as he arrived as part of the the Golden State trade for D'Angelo Russell. He hasn't been with the with the top team. He's played a little bit in the G League. He played pretty well in the G League. He played pretty well with Golden State before he was traded. But obviously, there's something going on behind the scenes there. I don't think he wants to be in Minnesota. And I guess if they if he doesn't want to be in Minnesota, they kind of don't want him. So I guess yeah, he's not included in the roster, which means he's probably you know well on the outskirts of the team and definitely up to be moved for, for probably anything at this point. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much going on in 2020 that I, I must have just missed when Amari Spellman became an all-star that could dictate his own terms. Um, <laughs> but I, I do know that, like I said, when, when the Russell-Wiggins trade happened, um, f- from what I understand and from what I was told, uh, Spellman was one of those guys that was kind of like the Warriors, like, no, you have to take him. Because I mean, yeah. even, even that type of small, small contract, the Warriors needed to carve out as much room as they could for, for down the road. Um, and for trade exceptions and all those different sorts of things. So, uh, yeah, and to and to dodge the luxury tax, which yep. they've been paying for for years, and the and the repeated tax. So any yep. move to to get rid of a small amount of salary is good for them. And and if you're a team like Minnesota, you're obviously more than willing to take on a guy like him because I mean, I again, and I'm not the cap guy, so this is more of a you or a Dane. But 
you know, I think if they don't get him in that deal, they probably aren't under, they're probably under, the Wolves themselves are under the luxury yeah. tax. Yeah, um, for so sure. I think they, they kind of just swallowed the bullet and stuff and brought him in. And then I know that they had asked him to like, hey, we want to send you down to Iowa and, you know, let you get some reps. And I think he was like offended, which, again, I don't think we're going to do a whole podcast on Amari Spellman, but uh, I, you know, I just, there's, there's multiple stories now of red flags with him that are off the court type stuff. Yeah. So you would have hoped that a guy like him who has been kind of bounced around and not had a chance would love to go down to Iowa and just put up 40 and 20 for a couple of weeks. But um, yeah, I, I would highly doubt that they'll, they'll probably decline his option uh, if they haven't already. And uh, I would imagine that he's not going to be on the team. He'll be in some sort of deal or draft night swap or something. So uh, I think, I, I think his tenure here will probably be less exciting than Evan Turner's, who was already also I don't think was on the roster, so I don't know what he's up to, but um Yeah. They got they got to cut it, some fat. <laughs> yeah, at least Evan Turner got onto Twitter and recruited D'Angelo Russell the minute he, he got to Minnesota. So at least he did something good for the franchise, whereas yeah, Spellman we, kind of just been a downer the whole time. Yeah, we can definitely re- retire uh ET's jersey just for just for that <laughs> fact alone. Um but yeah, so like I said, they'll, they'll go into a they'll go into Monday. Um starting Monday, September 21st with, with a pretty exciting roster. And it's obviously kind of headlined by Townsend Russell. But like I said, Beasley, uh, we got, uh, you know, Josh Akogi, Jarrett Culver, Jordan McLaughlin, Keelan Martin, Layman, James Johnson flew up from Miami, which was good. And then they also had uh, some of those, like I said, those Iowa guys. So I don't know if you were a fan of this guy, but that Canyon Berry. I just um, love his name. I just love his name. Yeah, Canyon Berry. Anyone uh, named Canyon Berry is, uh, you know, he's I'm a fan. Right. Uh, Jacob Evans, uh, he'll be he'll be in the bubble. Uh, he was part of that deal with Golden State, um, and then I think this is an Iowa guy too. But that Lindell Wigginton, which to me yeah. when I saw that name, I totally thought just like Andrew Wiggins with a mustache, you know, like it was a made up guy. But um, yes, yeah, so guy, guy incognito. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they got some guys that they can kind of see. But um, the the the, the biggest thing is that they got Townsend Russell in. They can start to work on their chemistry. Like it's this is a broken record at this point, but. We've seen them play all of one game together against the Raptors. Um, so just the more reps, it's just reps. When you watch these teams right now in the bubble, like Miami and Boston and Denver, who I know we're going to talk about, uh, it's just reps, just repetitions of getting your guys in pick and rolls and switches and, you know, doing all these different things. So it's good. I'm, I'm excited. We're kind of, we survived. If you're listening to this and you're a Tim Rolls fan, I cannot thank you enough. We survived the weirdest summer ever. Um, and I think now you're going to start to see some some more news, some more media stuff, uh, and some more availability, and it, it should be kind of all building towards that draft and free agency. So, uh, so just one last thing that I, I'm not sure if you know the answer to this, so I might be putting you on the spot a little bit. Um, I know Darren Wolfson said on his podcast that uh, they'll be looking to stream or you know record in some fashion the the scrimmages. Is was there any word on that in the press conference? You know, that didn't come up in the press conference, and, and uh, Doogie was on that uh, media availability. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm probably wondering if they're probably trying to hammer some of that out. I mean, from what I, from my experience talking to the front office people, uh, they are a very kind of, uh, how do I want to say, yeah, not, not close-minded, but like they're close to, they like to keep their things close to the vest. They don't want to yeah, share too much. Yeah. But I also know that, you know, Gerson is a very smart man, and he knows that we basically have, as as a franchise, there's been nothing to talk about for six months. So I don't know how we're still even doing this whole thing, but um, 
they kind of got to re-engage the fan base a little bit. So yeah. and, and um, there's no way to lose when you're playing your own team because someone's going to look good. Right. And, 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 you know, it might not be like a live stream type scrimmage um and like i said we should also comment too the wolfson is very plugged in so i mean if he if he said that I, i'd take his word on it but uh but even just like they'll probably like our friend shabazz khan who's running social for them they'll probably splice up some videos and stuff just to give i mean we're yeah. so hungry to see i mean if they just post a five second video of a two on the pick and roll between carl and d'angelo russell that <laughs> results in a dunk like that'll just get it's us all back explode. engaged yeah. so but no, that would be interesting. Like I said, it, I'm guessing if that stuff happens, they'll you, you know it'll be all over Twitter. It'll be all posted and stuff on the website. So that would be fun. We we deserve it, man. Like we deserve to watch these guys play, even if it's against you know five chairs or five five coaches. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so speaking of bubbles, speaking of of, of uh, teams playing and and playing well, obviously the playoffs are going on still at the moment. Uh, Western Conference Finals. We just finished watching that game. Uh, Anthony Davis hit a three to fin- to to beat the Denver Nuggets on the buzzer. It's it's been a really fun playoffs. I think I I think the no home crowds has certainly played a part. I think just the intensity has been a lot better than than I guess the some doubters would have believed it could be in the bubble with no fans. I just think it's been really fun the whole way through and. The team, I wrote about this a few days ago, it came out, so head over to Canis Hoopers if you want to kind of check that out and kind of cross-match it with what we're going to talk about, but the the Denver comparison to Minnesota, I think, is a really prevalent one, and one that I think all Minnesota fans should be keeping an eye on and should be rooting for Denver, to be honest, in, in the playoffs, just because there's the, the narrative that you couldn't win with a big man was really gaining legs over the last few years, and, and rightfully so, because no one could win with a big man, and I don't think Denver will win, win the whole thing, but they've definitely showed that they are a Western Conference elite, and w- with, obviously, Nikola Jokic as their centerpiece, and even Jamal Murray as their second star, and I think even just with those two straight away, you can make the comparison to Towns and Russell. Obviously not the same players, and... and there's a there's a lot to do for Towns and Russell to have the same sort of team success as those two guys, but straight away I think you know offensive minded players who aren't great defenders, but but have got to a level where they at least scrape by defensively, but then they really just outgun teams with their offense. Um, I think I think that's a really good comparison to make just with the Timberwolves franchise, you know, centerpieces, and then. They run a five-out system, and le- unless Jokic is posting up, they they run a five-out system, same as Minnesota. I mean, the, the comparisons are there. There's also a lot of differences, but but I just think that Denver are a team that we that we should be watching. Yeah, you know, I I think you were humbly kind of announced that article that you wrote, but I just want to go back to that one more time and just stress again that uh, last week you wrote I thought the best thing you've ever written, um, comparing kind of. You kind of touched on in the beginning of the article uh, about how basically when people think of the Wolves now, they think, are they going to try to emulate the Houston Rockets with their kind of, you know, five out system? Or are they going to try to emulate the Brooklyn Nets with kind of their more pace and space and all those things? And they both those two organizations have their own similarities. But um, the reason people think Rockets and they think Nets is because that's kind of what the Wolves front office is made of is people from the Rockets, people from the Nets. Um, And I thought you brilliantly pivoted to talk about 
a different team that no one has really brought up, and that's the Nuggets, a team that has basically built themselves off of kind of this uh, offensive-minded point guard-center combo that can't really get stops. Um, yeah. Or you know, can occasionally get a stop, you know, like we, like we talk about with the Damian Lillard type guy, but they're basically just going to try to out-efficient you and out-gun you. Um, yeah. And it's been awesome to watch. And I think you touched on some pretty interesting things about the you know the the Russell and Towns comparison to Murray and Jokic, but also kind of the secondary tertiary pieces of what you do to build around those guys. Because for better or worse, and I know this is a whole another nine hour podcast, but for better or worse, this this is the core. Gerson has yeah. Yeah. signed his this job. He has signed his life away to Towns and Russell. That's it. That's what that's going to be their core. Um, and, and whether or not you believe in that or not, I know there's pluses and minuses, but that's what it's going to be. And I think it's an uplifting, optimistic opportunity to see that a, another team has kind of built a team similarly, um, and they're being really successful doing it. So I, I'm intrigued. And like you said, the kind of the, the renaissance of the big man, um, I, I think now we owe it to Nikola Jokic to say that for now he is he is a tier or you know he is above carl in terms yeah, of the ranking yeah. just because he's, he's doing it on a night in and night out basis um, and he's just been on i know i know murray's got a lot of the the plaudits but he has been unreal in the playoffs absolutely unreal and i mean you know he, he deserves everything he's getting he's moved himself up into kind of this tier one star uh potential in the view of kind of the, the national view of things um but i also think that carl has and this is the homerism in me, but I think Carl has all, all the skills to, to match that or, or, or be better than him. Um, he's not the passer that Jokic is, but I think he's I mean, he's a f- superior shooter. Um, and I yeah. think I think Carl's stock, and some of it's just, you know, deserved because, you know, he, he would mope a lot. He would complain about things and he got injured. But I mean, no one's really seen Carl play basketball now in almost eight or nine months. Um, so I think it's a little out of sight, out of mind type thing. In terms of how many, I mean, I, I've seen, and maybe again, maybe I'm just still drunk on a Sunday from the Kool Aid, but I've seen people talking about how, like, I wouldn't trade Bam straight up for Carl, or I wouldn't trade so and so straight up for Carl, and it's like, whoa, okay, what, yeah. what's going on here? So the, the the recency bias is at an all time high during the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, and that's for sure. I mean, when you, when you watch when you watch a Bam, you know, Adebayo go off and have a great game, you're just so caught up in the moment that you want to be like, dude, this guy is a top a top 12 player in the league, but, 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 uh, you know, in, in Bam's defense, he's been awesome. Jokic has been awesome. Anthony Davis has been awesome. So it's just nice to see that these teams can win. All those guys are complete apples, steaks, and ice cream in terms of comparisons. But uh, it's cool to see that big guys still have a place in the league and you can win if you build around them properly. So that's the challenge, obviously for, for Gerson and his staff is can we build properly around him? Um, and I think they can, but but it'll be interesting to see what they do. And it starts with the draft, and it starts with getting more shooting in there, but also getting guys that can defend. Because I, you know, I, I think people are selling Carl and D'Angelo short a little bit. I think they can play better defense, but they're also limited. Like D'Angelo Russell's just never going to be an above average defender. He's not. But if yeah. you can get him close to just that average line, I think you can start to do different things and have kind of a lift your ceiling. A little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think, 
I think the the differences between them, like I said, I, I outlined this in in probably too many words in in the article, but I think the differences, firstly, is is I don't want to say the coaching because I still have faith in Ryan Saunders and I know he was kind of learning on the fly last year with a roster that was just, you know, getting turned over massively injuries, the the whole kit and caboodle he, he dealt with. So I definitely want to give him the credit there there for kind of navigating through that. And I guess, I guess he was never going to, they were never going to win last year with, with what went on and, and the huge roster turnover. But I think, Getting the way that Mike Malone gets Jokic in positions to facilitate and to to score, like gets him in positions where he's at an advantage, where the defense is tilted in his, you know, in his direction, in his to his advantage. I think that's just it's awesome coaching, and and that's the one thing offensively that I really want to see Saunders do uh, with Towns and with and with Russell. I mean. With Murray and Russell, it's a little bit different. You kind of, you know, they, they you run them off a lot of pick and rolls. They create a lot of their offense for themselves, which uh, we'll get to shot creators in in a second. But when talking just of Towns and Jokic, they're not really guys. Big men in general aren't really guys who can create their own shot off the dribble all the time. That's why you know Towns has never been a high usage guy in the clutch. That's why Murray still shoots. Uh, you know, more shots in the clutch than Jokic, even though Jokic is just an unbelievably clutch player. I think he just scored 11 points in about three minutes in in the game that just finished in the last, you know, last three minutes. But you need to get them in positions where they can score. The way Malone runs Jokic off these little curl screens, you know, these pin downs where he, he comes off and he curls and then all of a sudden, you know, what his defenders guarding him and another player at the same time, the screener, and that really just opens up his little floater game. It opens up his mid-range. It obviously opens up the, the crazy passing vision that he possesses. And it's just... I think that there's a lot of things that, that Saunders could learn just from watching that. Or just, just straight steal. Like, it's not it's not groundbreaking stuff to run guys off pin downs. But the way Towns moves so much better than, than Jokic. Shoots so much better than Jokic. I mean, you, you can run him off pin downs at at the three-point line all game, and he'll probably, he'll probably give you, you know, six, six threes a night. So I just think that that would be really beneficial for them would, would just be to get Towns moving a little bit more. I know they really wanted to to run with that five-out system where Towns uh, runs the plays from the from the top of the key, and I think that is, that's a good tactic. I think that's better than what Tibbs was doing for sure, and, and Malone runs a lot of that with Jokic as well, but when Jokic doesn't have the ball, when, when and when you know next season when Murray has uh, when D'Angelo Russell has the ball, sorry, and Towns is off the ball, I think really getting him running off screens, moving moving into space rather than just post ups or spot up threes that that'll really unlock Minnesota's offense. I think. Yeah, and I I didn't want to interrupt you there because you pretty much worded that so eloquently, um, better than I ever could. But I did want to you started that kind of that spiel with talking about Ryan Saunders. Um, yeah. and it's Sunday night, so I've had a glass of wine. So I just want to <laughs> quick say, like, I understand that, like, a lot of people don't like Ryan. Uh, I'm pretty much on the, like, I, I've got to talk to him. So he's a good, he's a good person, but I, I don't know if he's a good coach. I really don't. Um, and I think a lot of people wish he was gone. And, you know, they want to talk about nepotism and they want to talk about, you know, the, the Saunders connection with ownership and Glenn and all that stuff. I get it. But I think it's important to know that I don't know if, I don't know if Ryan's a good coach. I think Gers trusts him. 
But Ryan did his job last year. And they'll yeah. never say this, but for and you people might not like it, but they tanked. Like they that's yeah. the thing. They tanked. There's no debate. They 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 forced. If they, if they if if they're going for playoffs, Towns does not sit out twenty games with a undisclosed knee injury. No, right, exactly. And they would have just if you go back, I mean, God forbid we're in six or seven months of quarantine, we have nothing else to do. I've gone back and just watched <laughs> random ass games. Like yeah. they they just ran weird lineups. And now some of that you could argue is well, is that because Ryan doesn't know what he's doing? Fair. My thought was that they were they were never trying to win games, and they will never admit that, and that's totally cool. But they did what they were supposed to do, and that was suck because they wanted to have the best pick possible, even if the draft is looked at as a down year. So they did yeah. what they had to do. So they have the first round pick now, or the, the first overall pick. They got Russell in. Gers worked his magic, and now if you don't like Ryan, that's fine. Like the clock is on him now because they have to start winning. They don't technically have a pick next year and let you know it's top three protected but they're gonna make moves between the draft and free agency to build this thing up and i they're not going to be able to be denver next year because i think like like a like a good wine it just takes some time and you have yeah. to kind of build you know the nba has shown that you, you can't really cut corners to, to win a title you can't really cut corners to be a contender um even, even like a team like the, the the toronto raptors they were building for years and bringing in pieces and kind of putting in their culture, and then they got Kawhi and they took that leap. The Heat are the same thing. They're building that culture and building, building. They get Butler. They take that leap. So for the Wolves, they're going to need to build and build. And if they are losing games that they should be winning, Ryan's gone. So yeah. stop. Like, relax. If he it, like he's not, they're not going to continue to roll him out there if he's a poor coach. And the pressure's on him now. He got a he got a honeymoon year. He got to go to the Bahamas. He got to just sit on the sidelines and. Now the pressure's on him, but it's just the idea that Ryan didn't get the most out of the team last year is such a stupid argument because that was never the goal. They didn't want yeah. him to grind that team to win 31 games. So, and the team never had enough talent to even get the most out. Like, you, like the, Getting the most out of the team was going to get, only going to be 30 wins at, at most. Like That team was never going to make the playoffs. And, and really, we should have known that, I think, you know, I think most people did, but like we should have known that from day dot. Like Bahamas be damned. Like this team was never talented enough to make the playoffs, and that's just that's just the the truth of it. And and, and this is such a fact. Like anyone who listens to this pod, anyone who watches basketball, the worst thing you can do in the NBA is be average. The worst yeah. thing you can do is be forty one and forty one for a bunch of years because you never get a good enough pick. You know, unless you have just an elite front office like like the heat or something but you you never get a good enough high enough pick to really shake anything up and you just never can really get out of the mud so yeah it sucks and i know i'm too optimistic sometimes it sucks that the wolves were so bad last year but they had to literally like bottom 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 out to have really any chance to make this a sustainable thing because when they tried to just sell their soul to the devil to be competitive under tibbs um, they kind of did that, and they got flushed in five games, and then everything just blew up. So that's not how you build. Looking back at your Denver thing, that's not how you do that. If the, and you didn't touch on this in your piece because I think, like you said, you had like what four thousand words, and I think you just got <laughs> tired. But you know, the Denver Nuggets, they never sold their soul. They were yeah. all, they they were in on the Kyrie Irving sweepstakes. They were a team rumored for like trying to get Anthony Davis. They were a team, I think, like. One of the nine teams trying to get a Paul George deal or Kawhi deal. Like anytime a, a superstar came up, 
they like I, I think I think I have this right, but I think they turned down at one time Jamal Murray for Kyrie Irving. Which at the yeah. time you're like, that's crazy, but they knew that they wanted to build organically. Um and they never cut corners and and look where they are now. Like I said, obviously they're they're probably not gonna beat the Lakers uh in this series after what we saw tonight, but they're a good team and they have the pieces to maybe bring in a third guy or to continue to develop guys like Michael Porter Jr. Um so that I just I told you this before we recorded that I was gonna do a, a Ryan Saunders rant, uh and I feel so much better <laughs> about it now. But again, I, if you don't like Ryan, your your wish should come true soon because the pressure's on him now. They're going to have the pieces next year that they need to. If if we have an eighty two game season, they need to sniff five hundred. That's that's yeah. that's a goal. And if if they come well, on, well, they need to be they need to be the Denver team that Minnesota beat that year with Jimmy Butler. Yep, like yep they need to be exactly. That, they need to be at that level where you can miss the playoffs, but you have to at least give the players and the fan base. A taste of winning, a, a smell of it. You know, you, you need to get, you need it close enough where next season, you know, the, the two seasons from now, you are heading into the season thinking like, yeah, we're going to be good this year. Like, look at what we did last year. We were, we were right on the cusp. That's that. They need to have that kind of season at minimum. And I'm not 100 percent confident they will, but I think they definitely have a chance to do that. Yeah, and I, you know, this goes back. I got to give credit to Dane, Dane Moore, but he's always talked about too that no matter what happens, and he said a lot of this before the. For, before the pandemic, but um, it's always kind of been about the summer of 2021. You know what I mean? Like if the Wolves can do some things in the draft this year and some free agency stuff and kind of have a good season and then try to strike, like, you know, if you can build up a Jarrett Culver who looks like he has a reformed kind of shot mechanics and you can get some more out of Josh Okogie and whoever, you, let's say Anthony Edwards is the pick or you get something for him, you kind of blossom these picks up a little more, these players, and then in next summer, that's when you strike for your third star. That's when you kind of make your strike to go from, you know, 41 and 41 to get that one piece that can maybe put us at the 50 win mark. And again, yeah. maybe it all fizzles. And then two years from now, it's a huge blow up and trade Russell and trade Carl. But that's the plan. That's the plan is to try to get a huge leap in win total next year with the guys they've got. And then next summer, put yourself into that, you know, trying to find home court advantage in the playoffs. I know that sounds crazy because the team won like 18 games, but that's their goal. That's what that's what we have to buy into because we really have nothing else. Um, and I don't think the team has ever had the decision makers and the assets to try to make it work. They've had some smart people, but never the assets. They've had some assets and clearly some dumb bleeping people in there. But now <laughs> they have them both, and that that's the plan is to model this, like you said, model this like the Nuggets. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I think just just the one last point on the Nuggets, I know, I know we've spoken about them for a while now, but it's it's drafting and and signing players on the margins that, that they really hit on Denver. I mean, they they got your Grant. I know they paid a lot for, for Paul Millsap, but they also got Jeremy Grant. Uh, they're both integral, integral parts of their defense. I wrote about that a lot, that they... The way they they help on the backside, especially because they run the hedge system, Denver, where the where Jokic gets up at the line of the screen and defends that way rather than than in the drop like Towns does. Um, those backside defenders like Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap, they really do a lot of, of coverage. They they mop up a lot of messes, um, and they're guys that they brought in from free agency. Like they overpaid for for Millsap, but they overpaid because he 
they really needed him and they knew that they had their their two stars on rookie style deals still at that at that time. Um Grant they paid, you know, nine million dollars a year. That's a looking like a bargain at the moment. You've got guys like Monte Morris, uh Tory Craig, Gary Harris is probably a little bit overpaid, but still they're all exceptional defenders and they're really the the guys around the stars that that matter so much as they all play good defense. They all know what to do. They help the helper. You know, when Grant rotates over to help Jokic, then Tory Craig help, rotates over to help uh, Jeremy Grant. And that's just, that's the kind of thing that Minnesota need to do. And it starts with personnel. And obviously that means, you know, finding someone with the with the mid-level exception who really, like they can't really be a, you know, a flop. Like you need, you need to do your homework there and, and, and choose the right guy which I'm pretty confident that, that Rosas and Gupta and whatnot can do that. And then the draft, they've obviously got a lot of draft capital, whether it's, you know, trading for a guy who is your kind of Millsap, if it's a guy who makes, you know, $15 million a year, but is really integral fit to, to the growth of your team over the next three, four years, or whether it's just drafting a guy, you know, drafting three guys, like, and then, you know, you, you guess you get into a bit of a training camp battle where, where guys like Noel and, and Vanderbilt and, you know, the 33rd pick and the 17th pick, they're all kind of duking it out to see who can who can make the roster. They need to hit on those because that's what Denver did. That's what the teams who who have grown internally have done that, that haven't gone and swung for that start. I know it's as much assets, you know, that, that we talk about with Minnesota and, and, and draft capital and whatnot. It's still just super hard to get a star via trade. So... I think I yeah. think that's also I think that's also a really good point that you bring up about just like how well they've drafted because yeah. I I haven't I might be stealing this uh, this take but I, I haven't really seen it I don't think anywhere nationally but the the Nuggets are probably going to lose to the Lakers they're down 0-2 but they're also technically four games away from the NBA Finals they made yeah. a trade at the deadline that literally gave up good players for absolutely nothing. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like they, they, they were, they probably thought they had contender type aspirations when they made that trade. And again, that was pre-pandemic, so who really knows? But I mean, they traded guys. I, I, I'm uh, one of the guys that runs the SB Nation for the Nuggets. I, I get to talk to him a little bit, and like they really liked Malik Beasley. They just couldn't yeah. find room to play him. They really liked, you know, Hernan Gomez. They just didn't find room to play him. So they traded guys that you don't think they would get some benefit out of having Malik Beasley play in this Lakers series. You don't think they could have a benefit of giving Wancho eight to ten minutes in this Lakers series? They treated guys. I mean, they got back Shabazz Napier, uh, Keta Bates Diop, Gerald Green, Noah Vonley. Those guys. I mean, uh, Gerald Green was shipped out. Those guys have played zero minutes, I think, in the playoffs. Shabazz Napier was shipped off again. They just had to trade depth for a pick because they were so deep. Um, and that's yeah. obviously the Timberwolves' hope is that at some point they can have so many good players that they just can't even find room to play them. Um, yeah. But I, I just I, I thought that was you know it's crazy to look back at that and think that like I, you know maybe maybe they don't do that like maybe I've, I've I always wondered at the time why was Denver doing that and it was probably because they didn't think they could pay Beasley so they're like well hell if we can get a first round pick that's a pretty good deal for a guy that's going to be gone um, yeah. but Malik Beasley would help them <laughs> right now yeah. you know like Gary Harris has not done much he would definitely be playing for them alongside Murray so yeah I'm with you man like. There's a whole lot of things and a whole lot of holes, but one of those things would be just continually hitting on picks and undrafted guys. Um, 
and at worst being able to flip those guys at the deadline down the road for just late first that you can kind of continuously cycle through and restash your cupboard. So, yeah, um, and Beasley. Speaking of Beasley, I think that's a good segue into the, so the next thing I wanted to talk about, which was just how important shot creators are in the playoffs and. You know, in big games against big teams, uh, I, w- I wonder if Beasley is the guy they see being that guy just because you need to have two shot creators on your team, whether whether they create shots just for themselves, whether they can create shots for others as well. But, like, you need a Goran Dragic and a, G- and a Jimmy Butler. You need a Jalen Brown and a Jason Tatum. I mean, LeBron is, like, four of them combined, so... You know he he can he can deal with with Anthony Davis because Anthony Davis obviously gets buckets as as well and and so does Town and so does Russell but I think they really need another ball handling wing a guy who can who can set up his teammates a guy who can get his own shot I, I'm not sure whether Beasley is more suited to to someone who scores off the catch uh, obviously like most. I was really happy with the way Beasley played. He was obviously, you know, on in Fuego. The whole time he was in Minnesota, over 20 points a game, 42% shooting on, on like seven or eight threes, uh, sorry, eight or nine threes a game. So I just think that um, I think he needs to be better off the dribble. I think he needs to be able to break down defenders, uh, defenders kind of kind of bend the defense to his will and create shots for himself and, and others just because... Every for the last few playoffs and 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 for a long time, I guess that you it's just so obvious how much you need shot creators and how much guys who can create their own offense and, and create offense for other people is important. And, and that's why it's important they got Russell because he's that kind of guy. He he obviously needs to get to the rim a bit more, get to the free throw line a bit more. But there's no denying that he creates his own shot and that that he can kind of create advantages for an offense with his passing as well. So. Yeah, that's yeah. That, that's a good point, and and you know, I, one thing is that I think we should mention too is like for for the Nuggets. I mean, Jamal Murray has such a responsibility <laughs> to bring the ball yeah. up, but but they but they do spell him. I mean, Jokic can bring the ball up. I mean, he can just literally yeah be inbounded the ball and bring it up. But um, but I you know when I watch Beasley, and this might either just be the most lazy analysis or maybe a somewhat intriguing analogy or comparison, but like uh, it'll be interesting to see if they want to make him more of a just a complete just shooter like a spot up shooter yeah come off that's picks. what i wonder as well or or if they see and again this is a weird comparison but like or if they see some tyler hero in him where like i mean tyler here like if gore if Dragic goes and sits or jimmy's go taking a rest i mean they just run things through tyler hero which is mind-blowing yeah. in itself because he's like 20 years old but um but just can, can you do that for you know you know four or five straight possessions in the second quarter when you're resting towns and russell can you can you have Beasley initiate offense and get in the lane and kick? I I don't know. I I don't think I've we've seen the playmaking side of him more. Um, but I know he's a, a gym rat, so maybe maybe he's working on it. But that would be great. I mean, if he can if he can take the burden of running, you know, a half dozen or a dozen plays a game, it would spell guys and allow Russell to take a break in the corner or not put the onus on Carl. And if he can't, and he's more of just a you know, a flamethrower who's coming off picks and barely dribbling, then they're going to have to address that in the draft. And that's why I think whatever happened with the Jordan McLaughlin, like they're going to have to get another ball handler. Because when you touched on that in your article, it's like, yeah, they don't, 
Yeah, I still believe in Josh Kogi and I still believe in Jared Culver, but those guys are not at the level right now where they can really initiate offense. Really, no, Jared- they're kind of they're not off the off the catch shooters, but they're guys who who can attack the seams off the catch and kind of create for themselves in a pinch. But but you need a guy in the playoffs who can do it and score, you know, seventeen plus a night. Like you need a guy who is your third option at at minimum who can really create his own offense. And, and I don't know if you if you saw this, but Malik Beasley had has uplo- uploaded like a YouTube um, kind of series. I think there's like only one part out, but it's like half an hour of like uh, all the work he's doing throughout the summer and stuff. So, um, and in that he said him and his trainer, they were kind of going through things and they said that his main goals for the off season is to become a better shot creator and to, to get better at like, uh, sorry, improve his ball handling, find ways to create his own shot. So, Obviously, you know, we hear those things every summer. Like, I'm sure Carl Anthony Towns' top priority is to become Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, but yeah. Like... Every, every every guy lost all their body fat and has put on 50 pounds <laughs> yeah. muscle. But no, that, that's a big deal, though. And but I, it's good I... to say that, that, it's good to say that, that, that he recognizes that and that he knows that that's what he needs to do to become that, that next tier up as a player. Yeah, and, you know, I think, you know, uh, for as much as we talked about Jamal Murray, who has kind of lifted himself now to be, I, I would say, a... I would say a superstar, you know, maybe a fringe superstar. Maybe you just want to say a yeah. star, but I mean, he, he deserves the praise that he gets because he is balled out. But, um, so he's light years better than Malik Beasley, but they are the same age. They are 23 years old. Um, so there is still room for development in a guy like Beasley who, if he's spending six months working on not just shooting, he has a great stroke, but working on putting the ball on the ground and working on, you know, finding finding angles to make passes and stuff. It would be, I mean, I, I think they're going to keep him. I mean, I think we've, I think everyone who's listening to this knows he's a restricted free agent, and I don't think the market for him is going to be that big. Um, and I don't think they'll lose him for nothing. I think if it came to a point where it's not going to work, they would do a sign and trade and get some asset back. But I think he, I know he wants to be here. I think they want to keep him. Um, but the more that he can add to his tool chest and not just be a complete gunner. Um, it's going to be huge for them because like you said, even, even going back a series to watching other teams like the Clippers or having just multiple guys that can initiate offense, it just makes everything so more dynamic and so much more, your ceiling just goes, you know, so much higher when you can have multiple guys rather than just constant 60 times a game, Russell Towns pick and rolls because you see now in, in the NBA when the playoffs come and that's kind of why we're here trying to build a playoff team. Um, Teams start to narrow in on your on your strengths. So the more options that you can go from those strengths, like a tree, and kind of branch out, uh, the better chance you have to kind of remain competitive. So, so it'll be interesting yeah. to see you. You like him, right? Um, you like Beasley? Him? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah, I really like Beasley. I think that he needs to be in the right role. I, th- I think unless he can become that shot creator that we speak about, I don't think he should be a guy who's who's shooting. You know. 15, 20 shots a night, but I think he's definitely a piece that every team could use, whether it's, uh, you know, high usage kind of six-man gunner or just just a guy who, who can score 15 points a game and, and give you, you know, really good shooting, really good shot versatility where he kind of, he's always hunting his own shot, a bit like uh, Tyler Hero. Like you said, he doesn't really have the ball handling, but he's that kind of guy who who is always looking to, to get his shot off and I love that aggressiveness especially on a guy who, who really can fill it up so 
I think one more note on, on that, and it kind of tends to me as you were speaking of Hero, is I'd love to see Minnesota run those kind of dribble handoff actions that, that Miami run with Bam and Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero and kind of it's the, it's the dribble handoff and then Bam slips the screen and rolls towards the rim or and you kind of have to pick your poison. Like, do you, you know, commit two to, to Duncan Robinson, which in the Timberwolves case, I guess, would be a Malik Beasley or even a, a D'Angelo Russell, you know, do you commit to to him or, you know, do, is any miscommunication on that dribble handoff slip screen, you know, dribble handoff, re-dribble handoff where they can't get it and go and give it back. That's like, that's just the way they do it in Miami, the constant movement off the ball uh, to get their shooters open and to give their big man lane to the rim. It's, that's so fun to watch. And I just don't see any reason why you can't replicate that with Carl Anthony Towns, who obviously is a way more skilled finisher than Bam. Uh, he can, you know, fake the dribble handoff and step back and hit the three himself. And then Beasley and Russell obviously aren't the type of shooters I don't think is as Hero on Robinson, but they can definitely, you know, get their own on, on any night from behind the line. So it's just, there's so, there's so many possibilities when you watch the playoffs. And I know, I think I'm just so starved for Minnesota basketball that I just envision how Minnesota can kind of, you know, take this and, and pick that from one coach and and choose this from another coach and, and really implement it into their own game. And I'm sure Ryan Saunders is thinking the same thing. Yeah, and I think that's such a great point. Like, I, I do think in the ideal contender world that Beasley has more of that six-man role, which, again, has yeah. evolved in the NBA to not, you know, like, I mean, Lou Williams closes games. Like, it, it doesn't really matter when you start. It's how you finish. Um, but, I mean, I think because if you run too many minutes aligned with Russell and Beasley as your backcourt in the, you know, they're both in at the same time, you're just going to almost never be able to have any sort of resistance on defense. But if you can stagger those guys minutes and then, you know, build leads or do certain things that are just creative. And that's again, going back to Ryan, like, can he be creative enough to do what Spo does in Miami? Um, But just, just like I said, finding those ways to maybe have Beasley run offense for two and a half minutes to spell, uh, Russell and stuff. I think it'll be interesting, but I, I mean, his shooting was so absurd when he was in that like 18 game stint. Uh, I don't know how uh, if he, if he shoots like that over an 82 game season. We're talking about he's one of the five best shooters in the league. Uh, so yeah, for sure. Like, like his season with the pull up, like the pull up threes. I think he shot like you know 48 percent on like three pull up threes a night. Like that's like no one has ever shot that good for a season. Like Steph Curry. Shot like you know forty three percent on pull ups one season, and that was like you know the the best percentage on high volume of all time. Obviously, way higher volume. It was like you know seven a game or something. But like no one hits that kind of pull ups, and, and and even you know the the catch and shoot. Like I just felt like Malik Beasley hit every shot he took with Minnesota yeah. for fourteen games straight. He literally, he literally could not have had a better performance in a contract year. Like it was like yeah, it was awesome. But I was just like oh shoot like this sucks like every time he made a basket i just literally saw like his the salary cap just like get tighter and tighter but um but yeah no he he he's clearly as a as someone who understands the numbers like you do he's he's probably going to regress in a sense because yeah. He, yeah. like you said if if he extrapolated that out over an 82 game season he is Steph Curry so that's probably not idea or what's going to happen but but if he's you know comes back down a notch or two and he can still give you that night in and night out performance. It's huge. And I, and you know, I don't know what you can see on his YouTube page of his defensive performance against his uncle, 
but I do think there's an ability there to I, I was talking to Dane about this, but I think I think he has the ability. I think a lot of times he just like mentally like zoned out. So yeah. like a lot of times it was yeah. mental lapses. And I think that's I think, not as a coach, just as a dude who watches this stuff, like I think that's the easiest to fix. Just getting guys like locked in and, you know, smelling salt engaged. Um, because if yeah, you, if, if and, you and he's not he's not Andrew Wiggins kind of disengaged. Like he right. wants to be engaged. He just doesn't he know. Just kind of yeah. He's he's. I don't think his defensive IQ is very high. Like, I, but he definitely tries, and he and he's been the first from the moment he got to Minnesota. He was the first one to say, you know, he needs to be better on defense. The team needs to be better on defense. Like he just seems very accountable, and that's a really in you know enticing trait to have. I think. Which again, I I don't know how good this is going to sound once I listen to it, the Tyler Hero comp. But, I mean, Tyler Hero's out there in closing situations and can get a stop. You know what I mean? Like, he, yeah. he's he's under that Miami culture. He's moving his feet well enough at times that he's not breaking what they're trying to do as a unit. Um, and I think Beasley has the exact – I mean, he has the athleticism and the ability and the speed and the lateral quickness to, to do those things. So, um, but that goes back to concepts and, you know, David Vanterpool's magic dust. But – I think he can yeah. defend. So I don't. I don't think he's going to be as big of a sieve, especially when the games start to matter more. I mean, that's that's a part of it. It's like a twenty-three year old in a contract year was done it, and the team wasn't and even trying I to think, win. Yeah, I think just from watching back, and obviously, you know, you can never know. This is kind of just what you see on the court. I think him and Wancho, I guess maybe just because they come from Denver and they play a completely different d- defensive system, even though they have kind of similar personnel, but um. They seem to be the most kind of, I don't know how, how to say it, like out of touch with each other, you know, like confused with, with the personnel around them in those 14 games. Like a lot of mistakes where it's kind of like they were, they thought someone was going to help them and they didn't come and help or they thought the switch was coming and, and they the switch didn't come or just things like that where they kind of, we're expecting something to happen where, where the whole team defensive shell was meant to be, you know, running on a string, but it didn't. And it, and they ended up being at fault for it. They're the guy who, when you, when you watch it, you're like, well, what's Malik Beasley doing? So I don't, I think he has a lot to work on defensively. I think he needs to be able to get through screens a lot better. That's to me, that's, yeah, that's, that's his, yeah. He just gets flatlined by screens or he kind of has to take like two steps to go around them rather than being able to, to get skinny and get through them like like a Josh Atogi does, where he can't just take that one side step and just slips through a screen. But Beasley can't do that at all, and, and that's just a must if you're going to be guarding two guards in the NBA who can mostly dribble and run pick and rolls all game if they need to. So, yeah, and but that's, I, that's... I do think I do think a lot. I do think more time with the team and getting acclimated to the system and to the, how the way Vanderpool wants to play defense will be bene- more beneficial to him than say a guy like Russell or you know someone else someone else who was already other like a James Johnson or someone I think I think those guys I think Beasley really needs to to learn the system more and I think he will be a little bit better yeah and that's why go looking now at the draft in two months like that's why the draft will be so important because like I said we can talk about Jamal Murray and how like physically small he is and he still is balling or Tyler Hero who has like 190 pounds soaking wet. Like these guys don't have a lot of body on them. So it kind of, you know, that's how Russell and Beasley are built. But on the same token, like heroes making it work and Jamal Murray's making it work. So, but that's, that's why I think the draft's so important because 
you know, that's why Dane, I think, was excited about a guy like LaMelo Ball, who, like, is so long, he can help cover up some of those those issues. Or a guy like Anthony Edwards, who, for all his flaws, like, he's still built like a tank. I mean, he's a big, yeah. sizable guy. So they're a little thin in the backcourt, but that's why I think it'll be even more important to see who they kind of, again, using the Murray-Jokic comp, um, those guys, I mean, Jokic is a big guy, he's huge, but he's not fast, and Murray's small, but, I mean, they got dogs around them, Jeremy Grant, yeah. Torrey Craig, like, those guys are, Paul Mills, I mean, those, Michael Porter Jr. is an alien, like, those guys are all big, big human beings, so, that's gonna have to be something they address, because they're small, um, and that's up for another day, but they got small guys, and they don't, that's one thing if you don't really dive into the analytics or things or you just kind of watch the game that's something to always watch if you're watching old games after the trade deadline russell and beasley just get stuck on picks just stuck on them and they can't fight through them and it sucks so it'll be an emphasis i'm guessing in the bubble um and it'll also be an emphasis when they're when they're building up this roster going forward and just another note on on the small thing is we've spoken about before but like a sneaky underrated terrible part of, of Minnesota's season was how badly they rebounded the ball. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like it just seems like they got hammered on the glass every night, especially like I love Robert Covington. Robert Covington, I adore Robert Covington, but he just didn't get enough rebounds and, and Towns doesn't really rebound outside in zone, albeit, you know, he's a really good rebounder, but, but you need more. And I think, it makes it even harder when you when your backcourt is Russell and Beasley, and then Josh Okogie is your your small forwarder. And I know Josh can can rebound, especially offensive rebound, with the best of them. But that's a six foot four. You know, no one's over six foot four in you know in your, in your first three positions. And then you've got a six foot seven, eight, nine guy at power forward, and then Towns. Like it just makes it so hard to rebound. So I think they, like you said, they definitely need to address some sort of size, at least at the three. Like, you need to have a guy who can, you know, a six foot six, six foot seven guy who can who can grab a couple of boards. At, you know, maybe it's Lehman. Like, he's he can play that position. And he, I think Lehman's six foot nine, maybe. So, like, there's guys on the roster who can do it. Vanderbilt, James Johnson, like, but, yeah, it, it's it's an area where they, where they need to address. I don't think they need to go all the way out to find, you know, the, the tallest guy possible or, like, a, you know, a star has to be this certain height to be a good fit with Minnesota. But I think in the, in the free agency market, all the all the draft, they'll they'll look to pick up someone who has a little bit of size, just to just to bang bodies a, a little bit when the time comes. Yeah, it's probably another reason why I think when you hear them talk, and by them I mean like Ryan or, or Gerson, uh, I I haven't heard them talk about as much about focusing so narrow minded on four like. You know, essentially four guards in a center. Um, that's yeah. why I go going, going to back to the beginning of this with our Oscar nominee. Like, that's why I don't know how big of a deal it is if Wancho doesn't come back. Like, he's not the, the the world's best rebounder, and even Covington and stuff like those guys over an eighty-two game season. You do need a guy that you can't ask, even though Carl is special and you are paying him all this money. Like, you can't ask him to be the the best shooting center of all time, and then also ga- gobble up you know twenty rebounds a game. So that's <laughs> yeah. where. You know, and like for going back to my Tyler Hero thing, I mean, he's averaging six rebounds a game in the playoffs. That's massive. You would never think that that guy looks like me. Like you would never <laughs> think that that guy could put up. He's had multiple double digit uh, rebounding games. So, yeah, it, 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 it'll be crazy. It'll be interesting to see if they ask more of the guards to try to get in there. Like, can Malik Beasley 
average five and a half rebounds a game during a season? Because that would help a lot. Or are they going to try to get another big guy in there that um, can, can help can help Carl clean up the glass? Because like you said, it was abysmal. If you look at the stats, it was terrible how much they got out-rebounded. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we'll wrap it up in a minute, but I, I want to give you the chance to to let to get off your Jimmy Butler feelings. I know this is a safe space, and I know that that Jimmy Butler has kind of uh, rattled the nerves of, and the and the feelings of a lot of Timberwolves fans out there. Obviously, he left one hell of a sour taste in a lot of our mouths when when he kind of threw the toys out of the stroller and, and decided he didn't want to play for Minnesota anymore, but. What are your thoughts on Jimmy Butler? Good, bad, great, horrible. I, I want to know your thoughts. I would never tell anyone how to be a fan because it's just short for fanatic, <laughs> and that's what we're doing. That's why you and I are doing a late-night podcast. Um, yeah. So, again, to each their own. But I just think watching the bubble after the play-in, that couple play-in weeks where everyone was trying to figure out, like, this is so weird playing without fans and stuff, the level of basketball right now is so good. Like, the chess match between the Celtics and the Heat, who probably have, what, two of the four best coaches in the league, like, what, maybe Spo and Nick Nurse, like, they have, there's, it's just such beautiful, beautiful basketball, and if you're coming out of that every night, just being bummed about Jimmy Butler or what happened in the past, I just think you're doing yourself a disservice. Like, I just think what's done is done, they, they had their run, they wiped off that long playoff misery. Then it blew up in their face, and they had a, they made a lot of mistakes. But you know, paying Wiggins, um, having having Jimmy be the guy. Um, Jimmy was right. Jimmy was right on a lot of stuff. Like I said, Jimmy, Jimmy's a dog. Jimmy wants guys like him, and that's why the the Heat culture, quote unquote, is perfect for him. But I just, again, I think I was on one that one night when I compared it to like complaining to your spouse or partner about a prom date that went awry. <laughs> I was probably had some wine. But I just think you're doing yourself a disservice if you watch Jimmy Butler play, who did, like you said, leave a super sour taste in not only Wolves' mouths, Wolves' fans' mouths, but also the Sixers. Like, he did yeah. it dirty. Like, he, he, he had the same complaints about kind of like a Ben Simmons and an Embiid and that whole situation as he did in Minnesota. And, and as much as I don't think I'll ever openly root for him or necessarily like him, if you don't respect him, I mean, that dude is making every play in the bubble, and it's just awesome. And it sucks that he's not doing it in a blue and green jersey, but I'm happy for him, man, because that guy puts in the work, and he's playing his ass off, and it's awesome. And just just get over it. Even, like, the Tyler Hero thing, man. Like, I'm guilty of this one, being like, oh, you know, Tyler Hero would be awesome in Minnesota. But yeah. it's I, I just I don't understand why you would watch 2020 modern basketball and still be like every time Steph Curry hits a three bank, oh, did you know he could have been drafted by the Wolves? Like what a waste of time. Like, like every player could half the players in the league could be drafted by half of the other teams in the league. Like that's how the draft works. That that's that narrative annoys the hell out of me. Like you know, players pass players get passed on every draft. Like we don't crucify fourteen teams for passing on Giannis and then the Pumbo. Like because it happens. Like players become good and they don't like if the best player of every draft went num, num, number one every single time, then, like, no one would care about the draft lottery unless you you got the first pick. Like, that's how the draft is. It's a crapshoot. And, like, not picking a player. Like, you know, we didn't pick Tyler Hero. Like, we traded up and got Jared Culver. Like, 
Jehovah told it could become good or he might not. And, you know, if we can't do anything about it, like, just enjoy watching, like you said, just enjoy watching great basketball. Like, on the Butler point, it's just, I don't like Butler as, I don't like, I don't know, not I don't like him, but I don't like what he did for the team that I love. But it's, I love basketball and I love watching players ball out. And I, and I love that Jimmy's a dog. I love that, you know, he, he found the place where, they really accentuate his talents and, and everyone kind of works well with him because he's an awesome player and I want to see awesome players in awesome positions, in awesome environments, do awesome things. And, <laughs> That's... and, and I'll, never, I'll never respect or approve of how toxic he made it to get himself out. Um, oh, for but, sure. But again, yeah. I, I, I just, if you watch him, just, let, just allow yourself to watch him play good basketball and be like, wow, that guy is balling without constantly bringing up the Wolves thing. And then also, too, like... And that goes for people who aren't just Wolves fans. I think that's what annoys me more about it, is that every two seconds, it's someone who has no idea what even happened in the situation. It's like, well, well, Jimmy was right, you know. Towns is soft. Like, Towns is this and that. And, and no wonder why Jimmy left. Like, like, why can't we just watch Jimmy Butler without talking about Towns and Towns? Like, it was years ago. Like, hopefully Towns has found a position that an environment and a, and a coach and, and a surrounding, you know, player staff that, that worked for him because Jimmy Shaw has it and let's just enjoy it. And you know what, too? Like, this is my last thing, I promise. But, like, I'm happy for him and he's balling out. And he, he, I think, what, game three or game two is the last one they won. Like, he only had, like, 12 or 14 points. But this idea, too, that if Jimmy would have just stayed, the Wolves would be the Heat. It's like, that's so dumb because the yeah. Miami Heat have done so many other things. And then this is where you can rip on the Wolves for being stupid. But like, Oh, they, and there's no doubt that the Wolves were stupid. Like, we're not absolving the Wolves of any blame in this whole, in the whole Butler fiasco. Like, there's things that, that, they, that Towns get the blame for that he probably shouldn't, but there's things that he does get, that, that he should get the blame for. And, you know, likewise with the whole organization. But, yeah. But, but, like, yeah, but Jimmy what, wasn't a needle mover in the sense of, like, if he stays in Minnesota, they're flirting with the NBA Finals. I mean... What Pat Riley has done with Goran Dragic and drafting Hero in the mid-lottery and drafting Bam and finding Duncan Robinson, who no one even <laughs> yeah. knew about. Like, they have a lot of other good pieces there. Um, I'm happy no, to get... No one can possibly think that Tibbs would have done that. Like, no, he would have just... With his track no, record. He would have grinded it out probably another 18 months to two years and had a couple more first-round exits, and we would just be all signed, over again. Signed, so. like, signed Kirk Heinrich to a three-year deal. Yeah. Ba- ba- basketball is so good right now. This bubble has been better than I think. We talked about this on the side. This bubble has been better than. I mean, every night is chaos. Like tonight, yeah. we were trying to record this early. I was like, ah, oh, we're gonna have to wait. Anthony Davis is about to do something weird. Like every night's <laughs> awesome. Just enjoy it. And I know it sucks because usually we have to enjoy these games as as outside observers rather than you know our team is playing. But the basketball is great. I think the Wolves are gonna get it figured out. Um, things are going to start to pick up. We got the bubbles and the draft and free agency. So just that's my story. You can cheer how you want, but man, you owe it to yourself if you're listening to this to just like enjoy good basketball because the basketball right now has probably never been better. Yeah, yeah. Um, I completely agree. I mean, like you said, I'm not going to tell anyone how to root for their team and I can I completely respect why people don't like Jimmy Butler, but yeah, ju- just have fun with it and and like we, the whole kind of, you know, agenda has been today is just rather than thinking, you know, we could have had this guy, we could have had that guy. Like, look at teams and what they're doing in their systems and the way they use their players. And 
and try and apply that to the players who are on Minnesota right now. And that, honestly, I find that a lot more fun just because that's something that should actually happen. Like, wishing that Jimmy Butler still played for Minnesota is never going to happen. Wishing that Steph Curry got drafted by them or, or Jamal Murray, for that for that matter, is just impossible. It's not going to happen. So, yeah. And if you Whatever hate them, the, if you hate the, the Minnesota Timberwolves has, have given every fan of them countless reasons to ch- stop cheering for them. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? But as yeah. you and I, who are, if you're still listening to this an hour in, and now we have transitioned into soccer talk, um, if like you and I are <laughs> Liverpool fans, and for both of us, they're halfway across the globe, you can be a fan of whoever you want. So if you hate yeah. the Wolves, and you hate everything they've done, and you hate Carl complaining, and you hate Daniel's defense, and you hate Ryan Saunders' nepotism, then just be a Nuggets fan. You can follow all the beat writers. You can follow all their team stuff on social, and you can just literally be a Nuggets fan. It's okay. Just you owe it to yourself to have fun watching this because the basketball is so good. Yeah. So sorry to everyone for, but I knew that I knew that Kyle had a ten minute rant in yep. at least about Jimmy Butler, and I knew I had one stored up inside me as well. So that was, was on the agenda get, that we had to talk yeah, about. That, it. <laughs> that was a little therapy session there, but um, I feel like a lot of people are feeling the same way about Butler, whether it's. That's good or bad, but um, that that'll probably do it for today. Um, I'll be back again probably next week or the next week or the week after. But um, thanks as usual, Kyle. You're a star. Yeah, dude, I appreciate it. Have a good one. Uh, everyone, continue to stay safe. And like I said, uh, keep checking the website. We've got canisupus uh, We've had a lot of good articles. I think I I think you agree with me. Um, and it's only we appreciate anyone who's been reading us over the last six months without anything to talk about. And I think now. Starting Monday with this bubble, we're going to start to build up and it's going to be awesome. So, so I'm excited. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah, for sure. Everybody head over to Tanner Supers. We've always got uh, really good stuff coming out over there and a lot of writers who are, who are really dedicated to, to giving you guys content. Uh, apart from that, like, rate, comment, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. And uh, I'll see you guys next week. Thanks again, Kyle. Thanks, man.